You've never believed in the one. I still don't. Then why are you doing this? I believe in him. I thought I'd shake things up today since it's our our last official dive into the Matrix. Yes. We are it on is. our fifth episode, fifth and final Matrix episode for Matrix Revolutions. We're very excited about We are excited. Being done with the Matrix. Yes, no offense. Also, there are revolutions. Mm. The Matrix Revolutions. Yes. But mainly the fact that it is the last Matrix. Can't which emphasize. is really great for us. Can't emphasize that enough. Yeah because so many people have talked about the Matrix and I don't feel like I can add as much to the conversation as they did. Agreed. You know? It's still very fun to talk about, yes. especially touching upon the sequels, but I will not lie. This one, this one's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's get to it. Yep. Alrighty. Well, uh, first up, the usual conversation starter. Uh, when was the first time you were aware of this one? I feel like it's a cheat question because it's part of the trilogy. Yeah, it's a little weird. But go weird. for it. And first reactions. Oh, I must have seen it around when it came out. You know, I don't remember if I saw it in the theater, mm-hmm. but I saw it soon after seeing Reloaded. And I think I, I liked it. It's weird. I really can't remember seeing it the first time much. I can remember seeing it when I rewatched them at some point several years later but I just remember watching Reloaded a lot Revolutions didn't really enter into the picture for some reason it was good though, I definitely didn't dislike it I'm sure I probably liked it less than the first two, which is not surprising seems to be the common consensus mm-hmm. there. and maybe the fact that I didn't like it as much is why I don't really remember watching it, or how I felt about it in the first place, maybe it killed off my interest in the Matrix for a bit. I don't know. Hmm. What about you? Uh, same deal as the, the last couple times. I uh, was aware of it. Got confused because I remember seeing posters for Reloaded and then a couple months later posters for Revolutions and having that timeline a little mixed up for me. And it wasn't until I finally got around to watching them around high school, back-to-back almost, mm-hmm. that I realized that they were actually released within the same year. Yeah. Um, they were released in 2003, I believe. When The first one was probably released, I think, in June? I've just been assuming June, December, but that uh, could be wrong. I know, that this, I know that Revolutions was November. Oh, that's even sooner than I thought. Yeah. I could be totally wrong. Well, within six months, right? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're about six months apart from each other, though we have heard little twitterings that the Wachowskis when they wanted to do the sequels and again this might not be true so don't take our word for it but we have heard that they wanted to release the movies a week apart and the studio was like nah I didn't know that you can't do that yeah because they're like they, they want to do it as an, a certain event viewing experience mm-hmm. and the studio is like that's not how the hat works because they were filmed at the same time well it um, makes sense I mean we've just watched them fairly close together Mm -hmm. and they probably work better that way yes it does help for sure but my initial reaction was i did not like it because i didn't know what was happening and by that i mean i didn't know that i didn't get spoiled 
But I didn't know that, spoilers guys, Trinity was going to die and Neo was going to die. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being very taken aback and, and slightly upset by it. And I think you make an interesting point when you say that you've watched Reloaded a lot more than Revolutions, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's the case for a lot of people. And I have a tiny theory about that. Is In Revolutions, they don't spend that much time if any, really, in the Matrix at all. So there's, you don't have the visual, you know, aesthetic of really cool kung fu-influenced fight scenes that stand out like you do in the first two. Mm-hmm. Like in the first one, you have the last 40 minutes. And in the second one, you have the chateau fight sequence and the huge highway chase. And in this one, everything takes place in the real world except for maybe the first act. And the end with... yeah the fight mm-hmm. but it's definitely not uh, a normal fight view of the matrix either mm-hmm. y- you know it could theoretically happen elsewhere as far as you're concerned yeah. because it's basically just a big street yes where the entire fight happens yes well i mean it's not to say they're not in the matrix they are in the first part it's just the fight scenes that are in it like when they go to break into the the merovingians fun fight fight club his fun night club Mm-hmm. Um, they are met with some opposition that defies gravity, and it is a very cool choreographed scene, but as we noted on rewatch, it's nothing we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a rehash of the lobby sequence, except uh, infused, I would say, with some gravity defying and reloaded with the chateau sequence. That's, I think, the problem mm-hmm. with revolutions, that I was saying, is that they tried to introduce new things with each movie, mm-hmm. and they did introduce new things with them all, but they had more time to do it and reload it. It felt like the scope of the whole universe was being expanded by what they added. Mm-hmm. And then Revolutions, they're still trying to add more, but it's also the ending, so they kind of have to spend time on that. Yeah. And so it's like it's they're just bursting with ideas and they don't get to fully flesh them out because it's a trilogy and this is the last one yeah there's there's stuff on the third one that you might think i'd like to see more of that but you really don't have time to see more of it mm-hmm. and it gets left as a semi-unfinished idea yes agreed i feel like we should probably break down what happens because somewhere to reload it is slightly convoluted in comparison yeah, I think to you can just go through it again in order yeah i think want. that'll help because that'll definitely clarify a few things for me in particular so it starts out and i think it's important to note unlike the other two it doesn't start out with a really cool high octane action sequence in the mm-hmm. matrix it starts out with everybody kind of on the downswing in the ship i don't remember whose ship it is yeah, I can never remember their names. I feel bad. I know that Niobe's ship is the hammer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's the other guy. Again. Well, that's that's the one they they come through with at right. the end. And then she I'm gives Neo sure her ship. Too. Yeah, that's right. Again, I'm not great. so great with uh, some of the, the other captains' names. Well, that's a, you know. I think that's, that's another problem, problem right? <laughs> which we will touch upon as well, is that you kind of get characters that... You uh, don't really get to spend that much time with in two, and then you get to spend a lot of time with in three, and you're like, wait, what? They're going to be very important? It's one of those things where there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I mean, they're good characters. Uh, They get the job done. Mm -hmm. But comparing it to something like the original Matrix, where so many of the characters are iconic, Mm -hmm. it's just hard for it to match up. I don't consider it to be bad. It's just more 
average in terms of the memorability of a lot of this stuff. Yes. You know, there are, there are characters in Revolutions that feel like sort of stock types that you've seen in many other war movies in particular. Yes, I agree. Anywho, they are on a ship. Uh, it's the same ship as the ending of the second one, where mm-hmm. Neo is in a coma, and across from him is Mr. Agent Smith in human form. Bane. Bane, yes. Uh, the bane of his existence. <laughs> anyway, that's not a funny joke. I just thought I'd throw it in there for some color. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, played beautifully by Ian Bliss. Ian I Bliss. think I wrote down about five times. Ian is just knocking it out of the park in this scene. But uh, as of now, they're both unconscious, and you have the rest of the ragtag crew that is left after the uh, EMP attack discussing what to do because they are limited. Beleaguered. Yes. Yes, this is a good word. (laughs) But uh, long story short, they're like, we can't find Neo in the Matrix, which is weird. And Bane is having weird brainwaves. Well, the reason they can't find Neo in the Matrix, or the reason they're looking, yes. is that they're saying, well, it looks like he's in a coma, except yes. his readings show that he is basically in the Matrix. But so he's then not they search for him, in. but yeah, they yeah. don't see him anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then we go to what we call the fun explanation of him stuck in the train station. Mm-hmm. So he's stuck in, in purgatory. Yes. Metaphorical purgatory, you know, Jack Sparrow. Mm-hmm. Being dead in the third Pirates movie land. Yes, it is true. And He's um, a mobile ass, if you see. That is the sign in the train station, mm-hmm. which is an anagram of limbo, because, hey, that's fun. Subtlety. Thank you, yes. I don't know why I said thank you. I didn't come up with it, but it is it is a fun little fact there. Yeah, so he's just chilling there, and they are explaining that... He is uh, essentially stuck in limbo, so he's not in the real world, and he's not in the Matrix. He is a mm-hmm. place in between, and this place in between is kind of like a, a link or a program that is run by the guy called the Train Man, mm-hmm. and he works for the Merovingian. He's a creepy dude. He's a very creepy dude. He is played by the prolific actor who actually turns up in quite a few things, but you never realize it's him. Um, he's been in Star Wars, I believe, and he has also been in Legend of the Seeker. He's Atticus Sewell Zarander. I thought I'd shout that out there. Haven't seen it. Yes, this is for one particular loyal <laughs> listener. Or two, they'll understand. Anywho, um, he's very creepy looking, and he has a very imposing presence. And that's pretty much his role. Yes. Because that's all you really get. Yeah. He's just creepy, mm-hmm. and then he's not in the movie anymore. Yeah, it's true. But, again, I think a good example of a, another idea or expansion mm-hmm. of the Matrix that they didn't really get to flesh out because, A, there's just not that much time. So, as you pointed out when we were watching it, it's kind of like the opposite problem with the Merovingian scene in Reloaded where you don't spend enough time with him to mm-hmm. make it really feel worth it. Whereas the Merovingian, you just spend maybe a little too much time with him. Yeah, you get more. It comes right at the start of the movie. He does, and, and you had me note this. And a very nice red tie. Well, it's his whole outfit it's is true. red, I believe. Well, it's a he has a suit, but the collar and the tie is red. Mm-hmm. As and we would just like to point out right now, it has got nothing on that beautiful, beautiful purple suit and green tie worn by Morpheus. No, no. And that is our fashion report. That's the top. <laughs> yep, yep. 
But anywho, but that's where the, that's where they go to get Neo. Yes. They go into the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And they go look for the Merovingian because they know that the train man works, works for, for him. him. And how do they know this? Because how do they? They met with the Oracle. Mm-hmm. And this is perhaps one of the biggest fundamental changes between Revolutions and the other two. Yes. Is the casting change of the Oracle because the original actress Gloria Foster died. Yes. Yes. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And so their explanation for this obvious casting change is she made a choice to help Neo, mm-hmm. and it cost her. And as a result, her she has a new shell, a new form, and that is different. So there are still bits and pieces her, of her programming from the original Oracle that are there, but otherwise her appearance is not the same as before. Mm-hmm. And we come to find, she directs them like she does in all the other movies. Hey, this is where Neo is at. The train man is holding him hostage. Train man works for Merovingian. Gotta go to the Merovingian and set yep. up a deal. And so they go to that guy. They have the weird upside down kind of retro fight. lobby fight scene. And they find the Merovingian yes. in his favorite fetish club. Yes. And there's a gas mask DJ. Yes. And he, he tells him to stop the music. And I'm Which sad is, yeah, he sad. didn't say the lines, stop the music, gas mask DJ. <laughs> I mean, that's probably his name. We didn't check the credits. We did not. Well, I appreciated the sheer Wachowski-ness of this whole scene mm. because it just has everything. It has pretentious French guys talking about philosophy and a bunch of people from the 90s wearing leather all over their faces mm-hmm. and sweet Kung Fu. electronic music. Mm-hmm. Mexican yeah. standoff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do love the fact that he goes off again on the cause and effect and consequences and does own up to the fact that he is the reason why the Oracle has a new appearance because mm-hmm. when you take something from him, there are consequences. He gets you back. He gets you back. Changes your appearance, uh, which is great because then he's like, oh, well, we have to do an exchange. We have to do a deal, which means uh, you have to give me something that I want. Mm-hmm. And he goes on and on about how he wants the Oracle's eyes, and this is a fair deal. And my favorite part, which is both great, but I think also undercuts the whole point of the scene, yeah. is Tony's like, I don't have time for this shit. And it's true. <laughs> because you're like, oh, yes, Trinity, you're saying what everybody's thinking like right the movie now. movie does not have time exactly. for this. Exactly. She's we like, really this is don't. not reloaded. Nope. Uh, we do not need you this here, This is Revolutions, baby. Man. Yeah. I know you changed your outfit, but uh, it looks great. We don't have time for it. So she does the whole, I'm prepared to die. I'm just a very calm, collected badass about it. Mm-hmm. And then Persephone, who's also there in a lovely red <laughs> outfit as well. Yeah, um, I imagine. think her wardrobe is pleather. I think that's like in the contract. Mm-hmm. She's like, babe, whenever I appear in the Matrix with you. And we're hosting, whether it be a fancy restaurant or a fetish club. I have to have pleather. But anyway, she's there. She's like, oh, yeah, she's going to do it because she's in love. And they keep emphasizing that that very strong bond between Trinity and Neo that's going to get them into some trouble down the line, Mm -hmm. which it does. She threatens the Merovingian, cuts the scene short, and essentially does a slow-mo reunion with Neo at the train station. Where he's been confused, by the way, and yes. not really accomplished much. Yep. He's just been stuck there waiting for a train. Yep. From the train man, who mm-hmm. also basically beats him up yeah. earlier when mm-hmm. he tries to steal his way onto the train. Mm-hmm. Because the train man says that this is not technically the Matrix Mm-mm. in the sense Neo thinks. And so 
the rules are different, and Neo does not know them. So he doesn't have all his cool powers, yep. basically. To break them, yeah. Which is important. I feel like these distinctions are significant for the movie, mm. but it's a bit tricky because a lot of them are thrown at you at once, yeah. and they're not really explained. Yeah. Much like the other thing that happens in that scene with Neo, where he with meets... The programs? Yeah, he meets a family of programs mm-hmm. who are delivering Sati. our... Yes, our new character. What's her name? Sati, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, she's this little girl who is going to hang out with the Oracle and do some stuff. Yeah, they're <laughs> smuggling her into yeah, the Matrix. They're smuggling her into the Matrix, and they're taking it from what they call their world, which is the machine world in real life, instead of the you know Matrix version of the machine world, which is a distinction that I find confusing. Yes. But I've figured it out now. Take it away. Uh, because essentially they are programs in the real world, which means obviously they are I don't know, just a couple disks hanging out in some drives. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're just in the computer, you know, they're not real people. Uh, in that, I know, that's offensive, I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. But they're, uh, they don't have physical bodies like no. they do in the Matrix. But they have had a daughter, who knows how, metaphorically, they decided to have one. And they want her to have a real life, but in yeah. the machine world, everything is dictated by logic and reason. And, and so purpose, and she doesn't have Yeah, she has no there. purpose. They're like, why did you make a child? This is pointless. So they're bringing her into the Matrix, where she can have this representative body, as all the programs do, Mm -hmm. and deliver her. And Neo is in the in-between spot in the train station, which is what they're taking to send her to the Matrix. Yes. It's just confusing, because essentially, you're talking about the actual Matrix, Mm -hmm. this weird train station, and the machine world. Mm -hmm. And in the rest of the series, you have only spent time in the actual Matrix before. You have not spent time in the weird purgatory... Or like the Machine City, yes. you have no context for that, so it's a lot to throw at you at once. All I in think one it's scene. yeah, it's nice that they are still working with new concepts and this stuff all adds to it. It's just presentation-wise, it's it's kind of a lot. Yeah, and it, it's tricky because you're getting all that new visual information and kind of world explaining, but on top of that, you have them talking about philosophies on love and karma. And Neo being like, but you can't feel love, you're a machine. He's like, what is love but a word? It's just how you feel about the word. And it's funny because they're, they're, I think the scene is working on multiple layers at once. So they're you know, giving you the information that here's the matrix. There's a level in between the matrix and the real world. And the machine world is also a, a part of it. Mm-hmm. And the machine world is an actual real physical world. It's on the surface. And you have that going on one level. And then on the second level, you have Neo conversing with a program discussing the merits of philosophy and the program being like hey we're not so different you and i (laughs) we want to find purpose and escape kind of the confines of our of the world that we are the system of control that we are a part of and so i think it's slowly and gently pushing towards this idea that we can't we might have similar issues and Mm -hmm. we can't really destroy each other because we might actually need to live together yeah, we're not so different. Yes, we're not so different, you but and me. I think in general, if there's a problem with some of these scenes in Revolutions and also in Reloaded, mm. that's what it is. It's that their important exposition is in a lot of these scenes, and there's also a lot of this philosophy about the themes of the movie, mm. and it's all relevant to what the movie's trying to say. Yeah. But first time you watch the movie in particular, you just want to follow the plot, so the exposition is more important to you than 
the philosophical stuff because yeah. you need to know what's going on. But they're giving you more philosophical yeah. stuff than exposition you're, sometimes. You're a bit distracted, you know. Yeah. It's hard for you to see the important plot information because you're just thinking about all these weird abstract concepts that they're throwing at you. Mm -hmm. So when we watch these movies for the many second time, I was going to say millionth time, but we really haven't seen Revolutions that much. No, I think I've only seen it like three or four yeah. times. Same thing with me. Uh, when we watch them, we know the plot now, basically. I mean, we still kind of had to work some things out this time because it had been a while. Yes. But we basically get it, so we can sort of pay attention to all the other stuff going on with the dialogue, but it's definitely difficult the first few times, I think. Agreed. 100%. So, that's Neo. He was in the train station. Yep. We've talked about them coming to get him. Yep. So they've been reunited now. Mm -hmm. What happens then? They're like, all right, we got Neo. We're on our way back. And he's like, wait, guys, I have to go talk to the Oracle first. I like we were just there, yeah. but okay. They're like, God damn it, Neo. You know, we had to go through like some weird fetish club where there was a gas mask DJ, and we still won't get to leave yet? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's awful. Um, so he goes and talks to the Oracle, and I think Neo's arc is easiest to see every time he checks in with the oracle oh yeah so if there's an argument that neo just kind of stays the same you know he plateaus after the first one the second one he's just kind of this savior jesus figure cool calm collected i think it's really fun to actually say no look at every conversation he has with the oracle throughout the series i think yeah. that's a good barometer that's very interesting where he's at because in the first one he's kind of you know unsure but mm -hmm bemused going for it the second one he's definitely questioning her a little bit more and is a little bit more suspect and in this one he's just flat out like what is going on i don't understand what is smith what happened with the source what am i going to do with zion now that i've made this choice from the second one to save trinity instead of save and reset the matrix mm -hmm. and start zion over again and she explains to him that he's a He's a bounce, there's a bounce in the equation, the anomaly that is the matrix, and Smith is the opposite of him in every way. He is his negative, his other side. Mm. And so he's he unbalances the equation and you're supposed to balance it. So, you know, yin and yang type of a deal there, I suppose. Please save us. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, I don't understand. And she's he's like, did you know what was going to happen? It's going to happen. She's like, she keeps saying, she's like, I don't know what's going to happen beyond the choices you don't understand. Mm that you make so she pretty much warns and off and is like you need to get it together you are gonna have to face smith at some point and one of you is going to die probably but if you don't face him then we're all doomed mm -hmm. so that's a fun happy conversation yeah i like that um neo is really aggressive in that which i think is really interesting mm -hmm. i mean even when you look at reloaded and he's questioning her yeah. Which is different, but in the third one, he's basically questioning her, and he's not happy about it. Yeah, he doesn't like any of her answers, and mm -hmm. it's much more obvious this time around. And I think he's the most unsettled he's ever been since kind of self-actualizing mm -hmm. from the first one, and because of that, it's because of Smith. Yeah, and I he's mean, just like, what is he to me in this whole scheme of things? And he doesn't like her answer, and I don't think he... He likes the fact that she's not sure. Like, this is uncharted territory for both of them. I mean, we've talked about uh, Neo being at his peak, in a way, mm -hmm. in Reloaded. Yes. You know, he, like in the fight in the freeway chase scene, mm -hmm. 
Now he has to be kept out of it because he's so powerful they have to contrive a way for him to not be there. Right. And the whole thing is resolved by him eventually managing to get there and grabbing and just them. grabbing everyone and getting out as yeah. if he could have done that immediately if he was actually there. You know, that's how easy he is as a solution to any problems. And you get to the end of the second movie and first he finds out everything he knew was wrong. Then he finds out somehow he can do things in the real world that he doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Then he wakes up in some part of the Matrix, except he can't do the stuff he can normally do there either. Because it's not technically the Matrix. So he finally, you know, is rescued, and he just wants to see the Oracle and just ask why all this is happening, because none of it is in line with what he thought. And I think he basically stays in that state for the rest of the movie and series, where he is no longer that all-powerful sort of guy from the second movie. Agreed. Which is possibly my favorite thing about the third movie is the change to his character but we will talk about that more yes um i think it's important to note and we should probably explain this before we go on because it's just going to keep coming up again where he's asking her like hey i was in limbo because i could feel the sentinels in the in real life mm-hmm. like i could feel them and she explains to him more or less and we've kind of had to figure this out this is our wi-fi theory that um the reason why he was reading like he was in the matrix to everybody while he was in a coma Mm -hmm. and they still couldn't find him in the matrix and the reason why he was able to feel the sentinels and stop them is after visiting the source and being the one in the in the second movie uh the oracle explains to him being the one extends beyond the matrix mm-hmm. and it extends beyond the source you're like very strongly connected to the source now that it doesn't even matter if you're plugged in or not and that's why you can feel the machines because they are also connected to the source the sentinels are directly connected to it and so it's like wi-fi he doesn't yeah. have to be jacked in now to feel things and see machines it's funny i think with the language they use mm-hmm. it all kind of sounds a little magical yes and i think comes off a little confusing to a lot of people because it, it just sounds like a strange excuse for new powers that he had and of course as we were talking about um, a lot of people were hoping these weird new powers yes. were because the matrix was only the uh, bottom First layer level of the next matrix which is the real world and that's also a simulation yes and so i think having that theory dash definitely didn't help with a lot of people's interpretation of and expectation yeah and explanation of why this is happening mm-hmm. but essentially despite the language it's really relatively simple the wi-fi <laughs> as we stated you know it's they're just saying basically that he's in the network and the machines are also in the network so he whether can they're tell in the matrix or in the real world he can shut them down i suppose the fact that this is represented in the movie by you know him sort of having an electric force field thing with his hands yes maybe that muddles the issue mm-hmm. because like he can't actually do that is how i would interpret it essentially what you're seeing is just he's telling them to turn off. Yeah. I mean, that's a visual representation of what he's doing, and it definitely looks a bit more like he has superpowers, Yeah. <laughs> which is not what they're going for. I, th- I think it's it's interesting. I wouldn't say it's entirely successful in execution, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it once you understand the intent. It's just that it's 
misleading mm. and confusing, I think. I think it's interesting because, as you say, when they explained his extension of powers now that he's connected with the source and is part of you know really connecting more to the network it's funny because it's an expansion of powers but he he, you never really see him in the matrix again until the very end Mm -hmm. and to make a long story short his journey throughout the whole film is particularly bleak in the real world so even though he has these new powers and he can do amazing things and and stop stuff especially as you'll see when we talk about them uh, hitting the surface Mm -hmm. and stopping a huge fleet of machines um he's still you feel like he's still the underdog for even though he has these new powers that i don't think were as um thoroughly explained as they could be but well, it, it's almost as if it doesn't quite matter because he's still going to get beat down. Yeah, I mean, he's a part advantage. of the network, yeah. but he's not, like, in charge or no. anything. So he has some power, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have more power than they do, essentially. Yeah. So anyway, they, they unplug him from the Matrix. Officially. Officially, which I was, just on a logistical level, I was like, wait, so they got him out of the Matrix... Or they got him out of limbo, where he was, you know, in the medic bay. His mm. body was in the medic bay in a coma. And then um, the next time you see him, you know, they had him in the Matrix to talk to the Oracle. Mm-hmm. And they, they unjack him, which I think is extra confusing after she's just explained to him, like, you have Wi-Fi powers. Do you actually see him getting unplugged? You see him getting unplugged. You never see him get plugged in. So it's kind of <laughs> one of those things where you're like, wait, so he was in coma in the medic bay. And did they just move his body because they knew he was kind I of awake and then jacked him in? They thought that... The only way we know how to take someone out is to, you know, Literally do the little them. program stuff and then unplug them. Yeah. So I, just think I guess we have to plug him in before we can unplug him. Yeah. I mean, is it possible they, they plugged him in while they were searching to see if he was in there? I'm I don't not sure. think so. I don't know. Well, we just they just skipped that. <laughs> it song. was it's just fun. funny because I was like, well, that made it extra confusing, I think, for the audience if they weren't quite sure about his unplugged power. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. I wanted to note that Neo wakes up seemingly like the exact same time as Bane does from yes. his coma. They don't really dwell on that, yeah. but as he's waking up, the woman comes in the room and says he's awake now. Yes. Seems like it happened at the same time. Yes. I don't think that's supposed to mean something in the plot. It's probably more just a parallel they did to really emphasize the idea of mm-hmm. them being connected. Yeah. So after that, you have him leave the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And then you get Hugo being a delight (laughs) as he decides to come visit the Oracle after Neo has left. It's the best scene, everybody. It's my favorite scene because Hugo Weaving, I wrote this down like five times, he's having a ball. He's just having a ball. (laughs) And his forehead never looked bigger. Mm -mm. It's true. It's very true. But he has a really cool entrance. I think it's a a fun scene where you have uh, the Oracle's dude bodyguard Sarah and, uh, and Sati. the little girl yeah she, she made it and made she it said them. hi to Neo before he talked to the oracle um so that's encouraging and they're making cookies and I always want one yeah. but anyway the oracle senses agent smith and she tells Sarah hey go take her out which does apartment. not accomplish anything Yes, which doesn't accomplish anything because it turns into like a full-blown horror movie with a really cool shot of like the hall lights going out one by one, which is great. And they're running around through the apartment complex and finally 
they encounter Smith and Satie's like oh I heard you're a bad guy and he's like I'm not bad you know and he's like once you get to know me and then it's it's off screen but it is heavily implied that he has assimilated mm-hmm. Seraph and the little girl and then he comes to visit the oracle and it's just delightful he turned it up for this movie he really did he stepped it up even more so to the point where it's kind of hammy but I love it um, they probably had him watch his previous scenes, and they said, you see these scenes? This needs to go to 11. Yeah, they were fine, but they're not going to cut it this time. Yeah. So it's funny because his meeting with the Oracle is back-to-back with Neo's meeting, and it's just fun to see just the difference between them because she's literally just told Neo, like, he is the negative. He's your opposite mm-hmm. in every way. And it's, I think, very well done and reinforced with Smith because Neo's kind of the one questioning the Oracle. And searching for answers, whereas Smith is questioning the Oracle, not looking for any answers at all. It's more taunting, like, ah, yes, the all-knowing Oracle, <laughs> but you didn't see this coming. And, and she gets that gray line yes. where he says, uh, you would know, Mom. Mom, yeah, because she calls him a bastard. Yeah. Um, which, you In know, a way, is, is, is true. kind of true. I mean, she's considered... I mean, considered, all the programs are their children. Yeah, she is yes. considered the mother of the Matrix, so it makes sense. So she she gets assimilated. There's a big power surge, and, and the new Hugo Smith Oracle. Laughs. It's like a cartoon villain laugh, like a super villain laugh, and his eyes get big, and it's like this low chuckle that just gets higher and higher, and it makes me giggle. It's really enough to justify the entire movie's existence. It's it's true. I mean, it doesn't strike any terror in my heart. Like I have a anxious like, oh, this probably isn't good, but I'm so entertained by it that it almost doesn't matter. It's great. Yeah, so, anyway, so while he's having that visit, and Neo's waking up after randomly getting jacked in, and we didn't see, getting unplugged, uh, like you said, Bane wakes up, and again, Ian Bliss also having a ball yeah. uh, as Human Smith, and he's getting questioned by the crew, and they're like, hey, we see some self-inflicted wounds, what happened with the EMP, was it you? And he's like, I just oh, don't, I don't feel anything. like myself. Oh. Well, if I'm not myself, then who am I? And you're like, wow, this dude is creepy. Don't know what's happening. I think we can we can fairly split up the movie. Yes. At this point, and yes. saying that basically, uh, Neo and Trinity are gonna hang out because he says I gotta find the Machine City, mm-hmm. and as you said, Niobe gives uh, him her ship. Yes. Despite resistance from yes. the other captain, she gives him her ship. Yeah, he's like. I, I think I know what I have to do, but I need your ship. And they're like, why? He's like, I don't, I can't, I'm not sure. I just need it. I just need it. I'm and they're one. like, that is the worst explanation. That's not even a reason. And I always like, you can have my ship. And they're like, what? No, you're our best, you know, pilot. She's like, well, that's why I'm going to fly your <laughs> ship. Basically, Neo and Trinity go off on their own, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to them. Bane has snuck onto their ship. Yes, he that. killed the, uh, kills Maggie, who is in the Babadook. Yes, that's Essie Davis. Yes. <laughs> and we love her. Didn't so know she was in this. Yeah. He's on board their ship, and they're off to find the Machine City, and everyone else is taking the other ship back to Zion, to Zion where the war is about to break it out. It is literally there, up against the clock. So basically, the movie is, well, split into three things at this point, because it is them trying to get to Zion the stuff that's happening in Zion, and then Neo off by his own, but obviously eventually the uh, Zion, the getting to Zions will combine. Yes. So you could sort of think of the movie as being about 
the war in the real world over there, and Neo's more abstract journey, spiritual quest that he's going on. Yes, but it is. I'm sorry to say, when Trinity is like, "Hey, I'm going with you. Mm-hmm. I was with the Merovingian a couple hours ago and prepared to die for you, and nothing has changed." And so they go off together, and they leave Morpheus, and there's just a shot of the doors closing. So they can go leave their ship, and he's like there. It's the last time. And it's the last time, but it doesn't feel momentous at all until you rewatch it. And you're like, oh my god, that's mm-hmm. the last time you're going to see the three of them on screen together. I like that. And it's it's just like really heartbreaking and extra heartbreaking because at the time, the first watch, you don't know that mm-hmm. that's what that is. Um, so that's kind of a bummer, and <laughs> I think that's a problem that some people might have is you don't really have the three of them together. And to be fair, you don't really have the three of them together that much in Reloaded, but at least they're interacting a lot and depending on each other within the construct mm-hmm. of the Matrix. Morpheus and Trinity get separated from Neo, but he comes in to save them. This movie, they're almost always in the real world, mm-hmm. and they are separated, and there is no connection. They have no contact from here and on And honestly, uh, Morpheus... Doesn't have a role, really. Yeah, he's not in it that much. Yeah. The story went where the story needed to go, at the expense of our lead three characters, yes. in a way. I mean, Neo is, is quite front and center. I, I think they they all end up with intention where they were supposed to. It just completely goes against what normally happens in big blockbuster sci-fi franchises, the finale. Mm-hmm. I would think of it like you get lots of side characters to fill in the gaps. Yes. And you may like them or you may not. I like most of them myself. Yes. Uh, however, it's totally understandable if someone thinks, I came here to see Yeah, they're the not the characters. main draw. You've, yeah. you've been with the lead character since the beginning, and their role has kind of diminished, diminished in terms of like character arcs. They're now becoming more placeholders for stuff that needs to happen mm-hmm. and philosophies to be reflected upon. Well, um, I was thinking we could basically talk about the Zion stuff. Yes. And uh, in relation to that, the Morpheus and Niobe stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we could basically talk about all the Neo Trinity stuff afterwards. Yes. I mean, they are slightly intercut. Yeah, a they're all. Bit. I mean, they're all. It's true, actually. They're not that intercut because there's a pretty extended piece in Zion by itself. But yes. in general, obviously, they get mixed together for yes. the rest of the movie. Yeah. But I think it's just easier to talk about them if you separate them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, on the subject of Zion, yes, we have a something to say first about facts and yes. discrepancies and. I th- Yes, I think this ties into our previous discussion in Reloaded, where everybody talks about these movies and particular scenes or sequences, and it's just kind of like generally accepted, like, oh yeah, that's what that was. And so in Reloaded, it was, that was the orgy. But it's not an orgy, as we've previously discussed. It could have led to one. the burly brawl And the burly brawl as well, where the orgy, it's an orgy, and it's not. It's a rave party, and the burly brawl has horrible CGI throughout. It's a five-minute fight. There's probably one minute of bad CGI. We're not defending it. We're just Mm -hmm. saying it's interesting to talk about because how people talk about these movies, it's like um, their memories are a little skewed based off of, I think, word of mouth. And and what's memorable which yes. wasn't always good yes but it was what stuck in the mind mm-hmm. and at this point of course it's been almost 15 years since revolutions even came out mm-hmm. so it's pretty easy to understand why someone who maybe hasn't seen the movie for 15 years would not quite remember everything exactly as it happened but 
Last time we talked about this in slightly more vague terms. This time, we took the liberty of timing some of these scenes. Yes. So what is the complaint with Zion? I will say that a lot of people say about revolutions that so much of it is just this fight scene, this war scene in Zion, that so much of it, as in often said, half the movie, or even, I've heard, the whole movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is this war in Zion. So I timed it, and it was just under 20 minutes. Yeah. Then Revolutions is about exactly two hours long. It's close to that. So this is a sixth of the movie. Now, it's a bit longer in a way because the threat exists Mm. the entire time, of course. But the actual scene of a pretty much uninterrupted stretch with Mm -hmm. very little intercutting to anything else is just about 20 minutes from the machines entering Zion Mm -hmm. to them getting temporarily defeated essentially defeated is too strong just temporarily delayed yes um and then essentially this is you're seeing the first stand that's the, the first wave yeah the first wave and the the stand the humans are making mm-hmm. against the machines and them doing their best and then basically ending up with this is all we could do now they're going to kill us unless neo saves us but you get to see them Fight. do this entire first yeah. wave so I understand, well, well, because it's unbroken, I think, mm-hmm. is a large part of it. But it really is only 20 minutes of the movie. Can't stress that enough. Yeah, I think it feels uh, like a lot for some people, because even though it is only 20 minutes, it is a battle of Zion, and it's kind of broken into segments in the sense that you have to keep tabs on three different lines of defense. Mm. So you have the storyline with the kid helping out with the captain in those exoskeleton suits with big guns. Mm-hmm. And then you also have Z with her gunner partner. And Z is... Uh, Z is Link's wife. Yes, Link's wife. And uh, so you have her making shells, getting ready for the fight. And then she meets up with her gunner lady. And then the the third line of defense is Commander Locke. Mm-hmm. And he is kind of, you know... He's organizing. In the he's, operations yeah. area and trying to balance everything out because he's like, we have to figure out a way to defeat them. They can't take over the bridge. If they do that, we're kind of mm-hmm. screwed. And so of course, these are all characters introduced in the second movie. Yes. So obviously, all the people probably don't care about them very much. Yes. And that could certainly make it feel longer. Yes. I, I, I think it is important because there, this is a huge battle that none of the main characters mm, yeah. are participating in. It's all side characters. And I think it's just interesting that that is the route that they took. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense because why would Neo be there? Why would Morpheus be there? Why would Trinity be there? These like. are the common people that are fighting. And I think it's it's an inspiring theme. But at the same yeah. time, in terms of like a blockbuster movie experience, it's not something you would expect. The Wachowskis are just very invested in Zion in a way that much of the audience is not. Yes, agreed. So, anyway, so you have this big battle sequence going on, and it's just, I think I wrote down, it was like the concept art just came to life. Mm -hmm. Like, as we were discussing, the CGI is not Mm -hmm. perfect, but it holds up really well, and I think the reasoning for that is because they have a really good understanding of lighting. Yeah. So you keep the, the sentinels in the dark and you keep them away from actual live human beings in the shot. Yeah. That way they don't look as fake. And plus with the rapid gunfire, even if the lighting doesn't look quite right, you could just put it down as, oh, it's because mm-hmm. the, the guns are going off. And 
it looks they're... so artistic. It though. does. It really does. And it's terrifying. It's like this hellish mechanical landscape. There, there are bits, of course, that don't look as good, but yeah. I think it's just completely overridden by the scope and of... the spectacle. Yeah, the spectacle of it and how just pretty some of the mm-hmm. shots are, honestly. Yeah. So, it's a good one. It is only 20 minutes, which, you know, might even be too long, but... And I think you'll find, you know, if you watch these movies more and more, You'll slowly become more attached to characters like the kid, and they'll yeah. grow on you like a weed. Yes. And then you will care more. Yes. But it's there's that much to say yeah. about the Zion fight. It's just, I mean, I have seen some people say honestly that it's the only part of the movie they liked. You know, a few people huh. just they thought the rest was so muddled, and they thought at least this is actually this straight is very forward. straightforward. It's straightforward yeah. action. You know where what the stakes are, and you know what's mm. what's going on, who's good and who's bad. Or at least it was memorable. Yes. You know, for for some people, definitely. We wouldn't want to say that everyone hates it, but it is by far the most commonly brought up thing mm-hmm. about the movie, in my experience. So while that's going on, you have <sighs> Niobe being a badass. That's piloting, pretty straightforward, too. Also it's straightforward. Kind of awesome. It's funny because I wish I had kept a tally mark of how many times the actual captain of the ship is like, damn, she can really fly this thing. Because <laughs> I think it's at least like three times. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's taken over a ship, and they're trying to make it back to Zion in time. And unfortunately, most of the routes are blocked with all the sentinels coming in. So they're trying to avoid them rather unsuccessfully because they're trying to sneak through. And they're going through a mechanical line, which apparently is a very, very small, difficult, uncharted line that is notorious for nobody can fly through it. And Niobe's like, I can. (laughs) So she's doing her badass flying thing with Morpheus helping out. And then, you know, know, Sentinel's attacking. And they finally make it through. And there's a stress moment of Locke being like, we can't let them through because if they set off that MP3, anything. EMP. The EMP. Why did I said MP3? (laughs) If they play that rave music again, everything will (laughs) shut down. Oh. Well, my bad. Yeah, they uh, well they do that. You yeah. Know, they, they set up the EMP and they temporarily stop all the machines that are in the area and also the ones drilling from up above even yes. too. Because you see them coming back to life a bit later. Not only that, they've shut down every electrical thing. Mm-hmm. So not just the Sentinels, which is would be considered a win, but their whole like defense system. And so Locke is rightfully pissed and is like, guys, you just handed them Zion pretty much because if I were them I would start Mm -hmm. gathering up momentum again and attacking us which they do which they do but then he also doesn't he he blows up the dock I believe Mm -hmm. which stops a lot of them for a little bit yeah and that's basically where we leave yeah and then they do pause and they're like what's going on Mm -hmm. so we have to play catch up with Neo's side of the story yeah so Neo and Trinity say goodbye Link's like, I'm not saying goodbye. And I shouted, you better. <laughs> <laughs> and Trinity even notes, she's like, I know this is a one-way mission for you. And even hearing that, you're still like, no, they're going to make it. No, they're not. They don't. Um, the trip does not start out well, because like we said, we have our fun little stowaway aboard. And he has a great scene where some fuse or something isn't working in the ship. So Trinity goes down to check it. He has her at knife point. And he's yelling at Neo, doing his best Mr. Anderson he's basically drawl. just yelling, I am Agent Smith. Yeah, and, and Neo is like, like, I don't, I don't get, get what's it. happening. What do you mean? Who are you? I don't understand. And the standoff ends with Neo being blinded. And it's horrifying. 
Trinity is like trapped and locked away down below. They have that beautiful money shot of them fighting with like I think one of the pipes like bursting and sparking, mm-hmm. and that thing is used to to blind Neo. To blind Neo, and it's just traumatizing. And I think it's important to note for a movie that is the last Matrix movie that really doesn't have anybody in the Matrix. It's mainly the real mm-hmm. world. It's I think commendable to say that when you're in the real world, the fights are gritty. They are not stylized. Yeah. They are raw, do or die. You're going to get blinded. <laughs> it's, it's a very brutal fight. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's what I was saying. Uh, what I like about this. I mean, Neo is so vulnerable in this fight and in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't felt that way for a long time. Yeah. And it really makes you feel like this is actually a do or die situation. Yes. Instead of just something that he's going to win automatically because mm-hmm. he's the one. You know, it's like he's not the one in the real world i mean he still is because of the wi-fi right <laughs> but, but there's there's it doesn't even matter he's still on yeah like in this underdog. situation it doesn't help yes although it does help in a way mm. because he discovers his gold w- yes, vision that even when he's blinded he can still see uh bane because smith is inside him so mm-hmm. he has a program in him and neo can see the programs and machines because he is hooked up just like we talked about before but everything looks gold and pretty yes. in his vision now. I don't know why. It's just an artistic choice or something. Yeah. And so he is able to defeat Bane through the powers of decapitation mm-hmm. because he can see him. Yeah. And that's all pretty crazy stuff. I like that part a lot. It's, I it's hate great, that part. I like it, but I hate it. I'm like, I, I don't know how many movies would thoroughly maim their main character. It's like the opposite of the opening fight scene, though. Yeah. Because it's actually thrilling, even though it's just two guys wrestling over a fused thing. Yeah. Instead of people running on the ceiling. But mm-hmm. that feels all like a little bit of... It feels contrived. Uh, I can't remember the word. You know, just... There's a lot going on in there, and it doesn't amount to much. Yes. There are no stakes, really. Yeah. You know they're going to get through, no problem. Mm-hmm. It's like an easy boss battle. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I was, I was... Oh, just the blinding creeps me out. But I think it's interesting to note that it does follow a very similar structure to other trilogies in the sense that for the third one, you usually have like these three main characters and there's going to be a war and they all get separated and one of them is on the ground fighting, like ground fighting massive forces and the other split off pair is going through a personal journey yeah, they're going to, to end to find the war. So it's like they're they're all they're all fighting the war. They're just coming at it at different angles, and they have mm-hmm. to be separated to do that. And that's something you see in, in Star Wars, and in Lord of the Rings, obviously to an mm-hmm. extent. Yeah, and I like also that. And pirates, I believe. It is. It is really a war movie it in is. a way. Yeah. In a very unconventional sort of way. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because I, I think they they kind of set you up with a, a first act that isn't as interesting. Um, yeah. It's kind of weak. They're they're shuffling to get everything in place. Like, oh, Neo's asleep. We gotta wake him up. Oh, the machines are coming. We gotta kind of set the pieces. Yeah, for they're everybody. just trying to get to. They're the They're trying war. to get it going. They're trying to get but to also, Neo's quest. Yeah. So I think it's kind of a weak first act in, in terms of maybe execution because they also wanted to expand on things mm-hmm. that they couldn't really follow through on. But once everything kind of gets settled in place, aka once Neo wakes up and once Bane wakes up and everybody gets split off and set where they need to be for the rest of the film it's it's rather good yeah that's my strategy for revolutions mm-hmm. if you're trying to reevaluate it 
but just go in thinking, you know what, this probably isn't going to be that good for like 30, 40 minutes, mm -hmm. and accept it, and then you might find you enjoy the rest of it, yeah. because it just becomes much more focused once it actually gets to where it's trying to go. Mm -hmm. That so, happens. Yeah, Neo and Trinity are now free of their mean stowaway, who likes to blind, yeah. and they are headed to Machine City, yeah, which is the hop in a city oh, oh. in the galaxy. I want to go there. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. It looked really nice in the Animatrix. Yes. Which, again, was really cool because if you've seen the Animatrix, it's great because it looks really realistic because that's mm -hmm. the first short and that's the, the fun CGI short. And it's kind of even more exciting and hellish to see it, quote unquote, in the live action. It also helps to not be a new concept that they have a big machine metropolis, apparently. Yes. It does help quite a bit. But instead of Neo doing his classic I Can Stop Bullets like he did in the past two movies, he goes for I Can Stop These Huge Rhinoceros Machines. They're that shoot are, sentinels. They're shooting jacked up sentinels, Well, I though. think they're shooting the, the kind. The bombed The ones. bomb kind. Yeah, they, they roll up yeah. into little balls. But anyway, it's, there's some really beautiful, terrifying, dramatic shots there. They, they face the wall of thousands of sentinels yeah, and, and it's like makes them all explode with his hands mm -hmm. but there's too many of them and he's like Trinity I can't stop them we have to go up she's like okay and then you get I think a really one of the most beautiful shots mm -hmm. where they shoot up above the, the dark clouds and the nuclear waste into the sky and they get to see the sun for the first time and it's a great moment for about five seconds for about five seconds and even trinity is like oh beautiful and then she says if you you know before that if you say well we're gonna make it i'll believe you and she's like oh you guys are so doomed you're so dead but it's nice because it's like oh this one last hurrah of mm. triumph and i think it's a it's a good moment because it's like even though they're not gonna make it in that moment they get to see the brief shining future that can be for a good example of the memory effect working in a different way. Mm. Uh, I rewatched this movie and I remembered that there was a scene where they saw the sun. Yeah. And in my head it was like a long scene where it was there for a bit and they're like, ah, oh, how nice. And in fact, I think I even remembered it as Trinity dying mm. and the sun was in the scene. Yeah, oh, really? I didn't remember that, that it wasn't. And I think that's a similar thing where uh, for whatever reason that moment really worked for me apparently mm -hmm. of all the moments when I first saw it. And so I just remembered seeing the sun, and in my head I made it to be a bigger part than it was, much like how some people make the parts they don't like into bigger parts than they are in their memories. Yeah. But they get to see it, they crash land. I think it's important to note before they any of that, uh, when he's trying to stop them, he's kind of losing himself a little bit. You get a weird money shot of mm -hmm. the machine going after him, and he sees it all in gold light. And she grabs him, and she's like, I got you. And I think she's kind of his anchor. And it doesn't really matter, because she dies in the crash landing. And I know that is one complaint that you brought up, where people say that her death scene is yes. very long. We, we clocked it, guys. It's four minutes. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think four minutes is fairly average for a death scene, in my opinion. Maybe a little bit long, but I think it's a good death scene. It's more about the other elements of it, yeah. I think, that contribute. Yeah. So in my, my opinion, the biggest element is the way it is shot where, out of necessity, she doesn't really move because she died from basically being pinned. By yeah, these, she's impaled. Yeah, by all these impalation. Are these just sentinels? Are they? I think it's just parts of the building yeah. that they crashed into. Machinery and building yeah. parts. 
and uh, so she can't move and that means this is basically just four minute long shot reverse shot thing where she's just very still on the ground saying her lines and yes. Neo is above her reacting and that is definitely a little bit I don't know it's just a little static it's a little dull maybe it could have been more exciting but I think like the words I, are fine yeah the performances well, yeah. are fine I think I think it's fabulous because he's blind mm-hmm. and he's going on and on about like oh Trinity the machine city so beautiful it's oh yeah he doesn't realize light, and he doesn't realize that she is impaled and dying and it's like dude your girlfriend's dying <laughs> like this is very tragic and then he, he figures it out and mm-hmm. it's just like she is just so damn encouraging and calm for someone who's dying and i think that's uh, people might see that as bland or boring or kind of contrived but i see it more as that makes sense in terms of her character she's always kind of an a, a firm anchoring calming presence yeah and you can just kind of tell that there's kind of underneath it maybe a sense of relief not that she's dying because that's disappointing but like hey i've been fighting for a really long time this is the end you don't get to bring me back mm-hmm. and it's funny because she gets to be like hey remember when i died and i told you i'm sorry well i really regret that and let me perfect my death speech for you and let me nail it and she does and I remember watching it and being really taken aback the first time because I was again not expecting anyone to die Mm. and I also remember being rather disappointed that that was the way she went because in my mind I'm like this is a woman of action she's a badass character she's opened the first two movies with these amazing sequences of you know stunts and you know just beating the shit out of people Mm. and this is how she goes she crashes and dies and so I can I can see that but upon watching it more and more i think it just depends on the day how i feel about it i think it emphasizes the difference between the real world and And her and the matrix Matrix, yeah you know they're all like that they're all not as powerful or assured because they're just people outside of it and they can't bend or break any heroes yeah but yeah so she she goes and i think i don't know why i didn't see it coming sooner but at that point i'm like oh yeah neo's definitely it's not that he's going to die or lose or anything, but I'm like, he's not coming back and meeting up with Morpheus. There's no reunion for this. Mm-hmm. This is, she was right. It's a one-way trip. So he sees the lie of the machines. He's depressed that Trinity is gone. And then he gets to talk to the machines who just get a bunch of sentinels to congregate and make a big face yes. so they can talk to him. I called it the, uh, apparently he's supposed to be like, oh gosh, what do you, like the machine head or something. I think, you know, He's in charge. Yeah, he's the he's the main charge dude, and um, I called him Mr. Porcupine because that's what he looks like. Oh yeah, you got a bunch of spikes. Yeah, Porcupine robot baby face. Uh, so they talked to him, and he was like, "Just let me say what I came here to say. Kill me if you <laughs> want. I don't care. Uh, we should have peace though, and we have a common enemy, and it is Agent Smith." You can't control him. He's taking over the Matrix. He's going to take over this world. He's going to take over Zion. Mm-hmm. So let's get rid of this dude. And they're like, okay. I like that the machines are basically like, uh, why would we want to take that deal? Uh, we can we can beat Agent Smith if we want. And Neo's just like, no, we can't. all know you can't. Yeah. And they say, fine. <laughs> yes. Well, if you're going to be truthful about it, then yes. Go but for yeah, it. Yeah. He says, you know, I'll help you, but you have to let us have peace. If mm-hmm. I do, mm-hmm. and then there's that really cool shot where they they plug him into the Matrix themselves, like mm-hmm. with Sentinels, yeah, holding him up, 
I just think it looks really cool. They, they like sort of it's lay like, him down. Like they form a chair. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And they get him in there in the Matrix so he can. He have finally his gets to go in the Matrix. Yeah. Again. I Again. Mean, he wasn't at the beginning. Briefly. A lot of time has passed since then. Yeah. Th- okay. You finally get him in the Matrix doing an action sequence. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what do we call this fight? I don't know if there's a word for it. I think it's the Dragon Ball Z Green Rain fight. <laughs> that works. Yeah. So that's not the official name. That's just the one that we'd like to reference. Yeah. It's raining. Neo is on some sort of street where everyone is now Agent Smith in the entire Matrix, apparently. I'd like to visit that world. <laughs> and they're all watching. And one of the Smiths, who is the Oracle Smith. The Oracle Smith. He took her over, yes. Yes. He says, you know, I've already seen with my new Oracle site that I'm going to win tonight, so everyone else is just going to watch while I beat you up, basically. Mm -hmm. And Neo says, bring it on with his eyes, not his voice. Yes. It's the Keanu way. mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And they both, you know, they just run towards each other and they do some little martial arts stuff, and then it kind of turns into a everyone Mm -hmm. punching each other in the middle of the sky explosion fight. Yes, it's raining, there's lightning. Uh, I think you made a nice point when we were watching it earlier that you are definitely avoiding the pitfalls of yes. the Burly Brawl. That's the biggest thing I took from it this time. Yeah. Is that even though the movies came out very close to each other, mm-hmm. I feel the Wachowskis learned some lessons from Reloaded. I mean, they were, by all accounts, them and the crew and everyone were very proud of the Burly Brawl and Reloaded and did not realize that it would be received in a mixed fashion because of the CGI. Mm. But they must have realized it at some point when they were making revolutions because this fight avoids all those problems. I mean, for mm-hmm. one, it is in night and there's rain. Yes. So there's these obscuring elements that make it easier to not spot the imperfections. Yeah. Also, there's less CGI. They only use it for mainly a, a couple shots. For far away shots of both of them. Yeah. Where it's much harder to tell anyway. Yes. And it kind of makes more sense for it to look a bit unreal because it's like you're seeing a large backdrop of, of the Matrix and everything, too. You know, you understand that this is all not real in a yes. way you wouldn't if you were doing, like, a close-up of the face. And that's the big difference, is that there are a bunch of close-ups in this fight, but none of them are CGI close-ups. So we were about oh, yeah. halfway through it, and I was thinking, you know, I don't want to say this yet, because maybe they're going to put some in. But they didn't put any in. They always use these close-ups of actually the actors, obviously with the green screen or just something mm-hmm. and never did the thing they did in Reloaded where they did these slow motion pans across the CGI faces right. that don't look good and it just it makes me like it a lot I mean I don't I don't remember being super into this fight when I originally yeah. saw it but I like it a lot more now because it's so obvious that it does a lot of these things right mm. and also it really isn't that long I think I kind of thought of it as being a little interminable too just like some people think about the Zion scene Mm -hmm. but it really isn't it's basically they they fight a little bit on the ground they like fly up in the air they throw each other through like one building some beautiful lightning yeah they throw them through a a warehouse and they both lose their sunglasses yeah and they fight in there and then they just kind of go up into the sky and you know they have their big (laughs) ridiculous faraway explosion of rain shot but then right after that they just uh, they punch each other back down to the ground and that's basically the end of the fight it's just there aren't a lot of steps you know it's probably shorter than the burly brawl is yeah 
I think it's interesting because it has like the most high melodrama and you can tell just by the scoring and the way they, they start the fight with the slow-mo and the rain and just mm-hmm. the environment that they've placed the final flight. It's like this needs to feel momentous and big and I think you kind of feel like forced like oh they're really trying to sell mm-hmm. this but it's odd because by the end of the flight it's it gets like more personal. <laughs> It gets, yeah. it, it's like it scales up really big, really fast, and then it immediately just zeroes down. They're literally back on the ground, like below the ground, beaten down, one-on-one. There's no massive, like, cityscape behind them. There's no major thunder and lightning timing with their punches. And it's funny because it, like, it escalates so quickly, mm-hmm. and then it just slowly just hones back in. It seems fair to me. Like, if you're going to do a fight like that, mm-hmm. this is when you do it. You do it at the very end. Yes. You do it when more is more essentially yeah, which sometimes is true yeah and then scale you very it down. quickly scale it down partially just because you can't we all sustain know, that anyway yeah and this fight isn't going to end with one of them beating the other one with the biggest punch in the world you yeah. know it's already been established that none of them can win that way really yeah so it, it can't go that way yeah so i think the beginning for some people uh, especially myself the first time i watched it was like oh my gosh, here we go. Like, they're <laughs> really trying to sell this hard. And I think uh, upon a couple of rewatches, I was like, no, this this actually seems to be working for me because they're totally giving into that drama that everybody wants of like, oh, this is the big all out and it seems cheesy because they're really going for it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they do scale it back, I think really says something about what they're trying to get across in the fight it's not the punches like you said it's not that one final blow it's them having a discussion about why this can't be that all-out brawl that everybody Mm -hmm. wants it to be why it can't end that way and uh, it's just subverted so hard that it's very it's it's easy to understand what they're actually going for i Mm -hmm. mean now that i think about it that is the one thing i can remember about watching it originally is i was incredibly disappointed Mm mm-hmm by how it ends, yeah. where essentially Neo goes, oh, I get it, I know what we're going to do, Yeah, you're going to win now. Yeah, And, and he stands there and he lets Smith take him over, and I just thought, what the hell was that yeah. the first time I saw it? Yeah, I think it's so funny because it's a it's just a great, beautiful moment with, with Smith where Neo is down on the ground trying to get up again, he's like in a big puddle, and... Smith is yelling at him. He's this angry little beautiful rant, and he's <laughs> he's angry and shouting questions like, "Why are you?" They're like existential questions, like, "Why are you doing this? You know you're gonna lose. I've seen this. I've seen mm. this before. I know what happens next. Why do you keep doing it?" And it's so funny because it's like he's shouting at him, and normally that would seem like a taunting villain thing to do, but in this one, it's like he's actually desperate for answers. He's like. How are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing this? I don't understand. And then Neo does the beautiful, it's inevitable phrase. And and it's just weird because like, they're both resigned. It's mm-hmm. not triumphant at all. And especially so when it appears that Neo just gave up and was like, yep, you're going to take me over because I can't beat you. And I think Smith is probably thinking... Like, oh, good. He finally understands that I'm the best. Yes. And I have but to it's win. Still but he not yeah, triumphant. He isn't really happy about it. He's, he's kind of just, just like. He's just kind of resigned to it. He's like, this is what I saw. Yeah, like, this is the only way I can think of for things to go. Yes. Whereas Neo has sort of seen option C. Yes. As we know. But as far as Smith is concerned, this is it. This is all he can conceive of. Mm-hmm. So he takes over Neo and turns him into a Smith. But 
These are the logistics that I did not grasp the first time I saw it. Mm. Since Neo is in the real world currently connected to the source, the source and the machines, and now he is essentially Part Smith is, and yeah. connected to the Smiths, they just send a little killing shockwave through his real body. Mm-hmm. And it's like a transitive property. Yeah, Neo is Smith. connected to the source. <laughs> Neo gets connected to Smith. So now Smith is connected to the source. Source kills Smith. Mm-hmm. So all the Smiths explode and blow up and whatnot. And then, unfortunately, the killing blow has to go through Neo, so it kills him too. Yeah. And he does look a little like Jesus yep. in his little pose mm-hmm. there. And then they're very nice, and they wrap him up, and they take him away for what looks like a very nice sort of Viking funeral thing. Mm. With the golden light. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Which is definitely not what you might expect from the end of a trilogy like this. Yeah. But the more I watch it, feel like I don't see how there's any other way this could end. This story, yeah. and especially the third one, but more and more with each movie, has always been about... Well, it's been about balance, for one thing. It's mm. been about the fact, especially if you watch The Animatrix, that this isn't about humans versus evil machines. This is about humans and machines needing to understand that they both need each other. Yeah. And in that case, if that's the story, obviously Neo cannot destroy the machines and win. Mm-hmm. So he makes peace, which is an easier part to accept. I mean, him dying is probably trickier part Mm -hmm. and i think you know a lot of people just say well neo (laughs) neo is jesus this is a they're using that allegory he died for the humans it's like well he also died for the machines too you know he 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 did it's not like that's not true but i don't think just saying that explains all the decision making behind the plot it's not like the entire trilogy is a christian allegory or something they're using that element but i mean you could read to into this trilogy any way you want Mm -hmm. really um, that does seem to be the most common one. Yeah, I just I mean, there's a lot more going on than that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's silly just to say, nuanced. like, why did it end like that? Oh, because Neo is Jesus, and that's what happened to him. Like, yeah. that's obviously not how they came up with the story. It's just like, I guess we'll just have to follow these steps <laughs> these to get steps. him to this yeah. end. Yeah. They obviously wanted him to die. I mean, the Trinity dies too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that Morpheus is the one that survives. Yeah. Morpheus is the one that always was the I biggest guess, believer. Yeah, but I guess that makes him he's the one who is always believing in a better tomorrow. Yes. So he's the one that gets to see it essentially. Yeah. I guess you could say that makes Neo Trinity more like tools he used to get there, which would be very cynical, but Yeah. You know, just that's his role, I guess. It, it makes sense that he is the one that lives. He's mm-hmm. the one that like sets everyone on their path and then stands back and sees if it works. Much he, like the oracle does. He's yeah. like the closest human equivalent we have to that. Yep. Should we talk about that final scene? We should also just say, yes, that after Neo does this, the machines honor their word, and all the sentinels that are attacking Zion stop attacking, and they leave. Yep. And that's really the last you see. Everyone just goes like, oh, I guess Neo saved us. Yeah. And that's all the you get. The kid gets really excited. Yeah. Neo! Neo did it, guys! I do like that that's all you get, in a way. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, because we talked about this after we saw the movie. Like, there is no extension beyond this movie, obviously, but I think they've already kind of set up a structure where clearly not everybody believes in Morpheus and mm-hmm. his belief in Neo, and that I don't think that changes after the Zion attack. And so... It's interesting to consider what would happen after this with Zion, because this is a whole new ballgame, as they say. And it's important to note there is a lack of communication, like literal communication, once Neo leaves. So 
you could interpret it any way you want if you're from the Zion standpoint. You could be like, oh, Neo did the thing. He saved us all. Mm -hmm. Or you could be like, something else happened. Um, and so it's interesting because people can take it any way they want. So yeah. people still don't have to believe in Neo or they can still believe in Neo. The point is there is now a, a new era, a tentative piece. Well, I do like to think that maybe one of the Sentinels left a little post-it note behind like, explaining the situation. Dude's totally dead. Yeah, like, <laughs> it was Neo. Also, he's dead. Be happy and sad in equal measure, tiny humans. Yes. But we're friends now, by the way. Yeah. So that's it for that, and then we just get the last scene with the yes. architect. With grumpy Colonel Sanders. Yes. Who you could see, you know, everyone was like, why isn't the architect in this movie? I came to this movie to see the architect yeah. give me more architects. Yep, that was there the one complaint is. I had. In the final scene, he's back. Mm -hmm. he's they do a nice, they do a really nice, quote unquote, like reset, where you get to see the bodies <laughs> that mm -hmm. Smith took over. Like you get to see the little girl, and then you get to see the oracle in so the puddle. So she's fine. It's she's okay. fine, guys. They're all fine. Anyway, there's um, a very cool ripple effect, and the you the people who were taken or the mm -hmm. programs that were taken over by Smith, you get to see them kind of reinstated into their previous bodies. So you get to see the little girl, and you get to see the oracle. Yeah. Back. And I think in the gist of this last scene is just the architect saying to the oracle, like, that was a bold move you made, trying to break us all out of the cycle by essentially, I think, encouraging Neo to, uh, go, to the to go through a path that would lead to him not taking the architect's deal and trying to find a new solution, right. leading to the entire third movie. And she's like, yeah, it was bold. I did it. Mm-hmm. And then they're just saying, what's going to happen next? Yeah, and she asks him, she's like, the people that don't want to be plugged in anymore, will you, like, yeah. keep your word? Will you unplug them? And then he's like, <laughs> he has of the course. great line of, what do you think I am, human? Yes. <laughs> so I think that is a good note to say that they will keep their word. It's such an interesting thing with the, the logic of the machines, the mm -hmm. way that he clearly doesn't like humans, but it's like this is his task that he has now. You know, the machines on a high said... We're going to make peace with them now. And so now the architect is just like, well, I have to implement it. that's my job, I guess. Yeah. Yes. So it's interesting that they leave you with the Matrix still existing with the implication as well that maybe if you really wanted, you could stay in there. And if not, that's that's fine, too. It could be repurposed to just be a fun virtual reality place for yeah. everyone. It's true. <laughs> I don't know. But I like the open-ended nature of it. That's one of the things I do really like about the ending. Mm -hmm. I, I have said I don't like the ending scene that much just because... I think I just don't like that the ending scene is with those characters and not Agreed. any of the main characters. Like, maybe I would have liked it more if it had just ended with the Zion scene or with Neo getting taken away. I would have been happy if it ended with Morpheus. Yeah, Because I think Morpheus, he is kind of the, the linchpin in the whole series that galvanizes, I mean, Trinity also, but Neo is searching for Morpheus the mm -hmm. entire time. And now Neo is gone and Morpheus is not going to search for him. Because he has fulfilled everything. You could say something cheesy, you know, yeah. like, ah, uh, something about believing. Yes. Then it could cut to I the I mean, credits. the last line is, I believed. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I think any of those things would be more striking for me just as a last scene before the credits. Although I do understand that if you're going to include this scene with the Oracle and the Architect, mm -hmm. there's really nowhere else to put it. It has to be at the end. Right. I think it, it, it's a good place to be in the sense that if this whole series is about breaking the system it, it would make sense to end it with the people who were on the other side of things and represent the system accepting mm. the change yeah, yeah um i guess it is just in terms of like i don't know catharsis 
you don't really have any of your main characters anymore mm-hmm. to play with. So I can see why, and I myself still kind of feel disappointed, like, oh, that was it. Like, you, you do get an ending, and they're pretty definite for all your characters, but this is a pretty bittersweet, mm-hmm. bleak movie for a majority of the characters. And it well, does these... end on a note of hope, but it, it's not... Um, these characters through those characters yeah those characters you do see they're interested in it more in an abstract way yeah about you know the concept of humans and machines working together so you're not really ending on a scene of direct emotion from anyone that you care about a lot you're more ending on a discussion about what just happened in yes. a way and i do think i have to say that if the original oracle actress hadn't died it probably would work better I don't think the replacement is bad. Yeah. Uh, I just it's think it fills she, it out more because yeah. she was in the whole... If yeah. she could have been in the whole series. And in a way, she's she's too good. Like, she does a pretty accurate impression of her voice. Mm. But for me, that just means that it really drives it home that it's not her. Yeah. And so, uh, I bet that some of these lines would probably come off really well if it was her. And, and she, you already love her. From, or at least I always did from like the first movie it's very easy to really buy into all our scenes mm-hmm. I think and I think that probably unfortunately is another thing that throws people myself included watching the ending scene is oh these are it, it's almost like it's interchangeable who it is which obviously is to yeah. no one's fault but you're seeing the final scene with a completely new actor that you've never seen before yeah. and an actor who was in a scene that most people didn't like when it first mm-hmm. came out and still don't like. And of course you are ending up now with a scene with no one from the first movie in it. Yep. Which and is that ends the series and that's disappointing yeah. and, for some And people. most importantly it does not go to credits with the Rage Against the Machine song. It does not. It ends with like a high chanting it does. dramatic and choir. You know that's cool but did you want that rage against the machine song? It's just not song? the same. Yeah. I understand that it wouldn't have fit as well, but yeah. They did it twice. Yes. I have very yeah, mixed feelings about this movie. I think on a I don't know, an intellectual level, I get it. Well, I don't get it. I get as much as I can with the amount of times that I viewed it, but I think mm. in terms of uh, emotion like I said you don't get that catharsis and you don't hit the same beats that you would normally expect to hit mm-hmm. in a, a trilogy a final installment in a trilogy which is both commendable because it does really mark the series as something original and unique but at the same time I, I understand why it's not always the most enjoyable viewing experience because it is frustrating for you to carry on in this journey with people and have them go in unexpected places and not be fully satisfied but also understand well that's the logically where they need to end up mm-hmm. i think it's grown on me more mm-hmm. the more i've seen it and i would comfortably describe it as a good movie mm-hmm. but it is pretty much undoubtedly the most difficult thing the Wachowskis have ever done at least of the things we are going to be discussing yeah there is only one (laughs) movie that i would consider as being around the same level of quality but it is nowhere near the execution level difficult yeah to understand as revolutions is yes so revolutions is definitely uh well it's it's understandable why a lot of people i don't think i've actually not to cut you off i'm sorry you can continue. You don't understand. Oh, I don't understand why 
No, I do understand why a lot of people have found it hard to get into anything they've done since because they were left with a bad taste in their mouth from watching revolutions, essentially. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever met anybody who has actively said that they liked the third movie. Some of them, I, I know, I think the, the, the thing I hear about the sequels is two and three aren't good, two has really cool action scenes. I've but nothing redeemable yeah. in the third one. I've in heard terms people of say that they, um, they like the second one more than the first before. I've and never I think heard that. in general, I mean, I've, I've heard that in the sense that I think it also sort of included the third one. Like really? this person, let's just say it was probably pretty pretentious <laughs> and contrary. Cause we aren't. <laughs> no, you know, they, they, they basically said that the first one was too easy and the second and third were where the real stuff was. I, and I can definitely see that person existing. I haven't <laughs> met anyone like that in real life. Maybe it was in the Matrix. You know they exist. I mean, I told you once about how I went to someone's house, and they only had Spider-Man 3 and not 1 and 2. What? Which is something I had never seen before in my life. Yeah. So you just know that someone out there likes Revolutions the best. Mm. I haven't met him yet, but I will say what you had said last episode. One is definitely a better movie Mm -hmm. in terms of the storytelling, the plot, the narrative, it's its much more cohesive and it's executed incredibly well. But two and three are much more interesting to talk about as a result mm-hmm. because they are, you know, let's, you know, you can't blame the Wachowskis. They were definitely very ambitious with these two and what they were going for because it was definitely against the grain and it wasn't, it didn't go for the generic let's appeal to mm-hmm. the audiences with this story instead they're like nope we're going to tell the story we're going to tell I mean, and it's going to be polarizing but that's the story that needs to be told from what we've built there's so much imagination in all of them Yeah. in a way it's easy to understand how anyone could think one of them was the best just because at least you can say that there's so much to dig into in every single iteration Yeah. and maybe some stuff will just work for someone in a way that it doesn't work for us in some Mm -hmm. of those instances. I was thinking, like, for me, I think in order of goodness, it goes one, two, then three. Yes. Um, And I guess if I had to put the Animatrix in there, it would probably be after one. So, sadly, that does mean that each one technically gets worse. Yes. But I don't mean that in a horrible way. They don't get worse in ambition, though. They they definitely... But I do think that Revolutions... Uh, is a more emotional movie, in my opinion. I think Reloaded is still better, but Reloaded is really the very actiony and very talky, thinky one. Mm-hmm. And Revolutions, I really like that it puts so much focus on, as I said, the vulnerability of Neo and Trinity and all of them. Mm-hmm. And I think in those moments, it does feel more like the first one sometimes, in that it's about a bunch of scrappy people. Yeah. So I think it has some qualities that aren't present and reloaded that are nice and make it special in itself. But, yeah, that's sort of how I would r- rank each of them, I guess. Yeah. I'm 100% I in think, agreement. Yeah, you agree with the order, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't. I think it would, you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, a lot of people arguing that, but there, again, are people out there who do do that, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um and like you said, these are very ambitious but also polarizing movies, so it's always going to generate discussion, and that just reflects on what 
big impact it had, whether good or bad. I know the Wachowskis are very proud of all three. They should defiantly be. Defiantly so, and yeah. I like that. Yes. Uh, I like that they don't. <laughs> I've seen them ask in interviews, you know, oh, people didn't like the second and third Matrixes very much. Like, what do you think about that? Has that ch affected you in any way? And they just <laughs> say, no, because we think they were really good, yeah. essentially. And I like that confidence, which I think has helped them very much throughout their whole career. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I really appreciate people who make new, well, new, uh, different content and s make it strictly for them. Mm -hmm. And they don't give in to audience mass appeal. I mean, maybe it was a good thing for them that people became less enamored of them because... They get to reach that, under, yeah. underdog status again. Well, yeah, and everything that they have made has been something that they made because they felt like it. Mm -hmm. um, and because they haven't... It's understood, at least at this point, that they're not going to probably manage the Matrix again yes. in terms of audience appeal. So they've been left alone a little more. I feel yeah, like. and I, I also think it's important to note that because of the Matrix series, they can... You know, on they a production level, yeah. they can afford to make whatever they like, and they are, as we'll talk about later down the line with other episodes, willing to invest their own, not just time, but money mm -hmm. as well into these passion projects. And like you said, they're not always going to reach mass appeal, and a lot of the times they have a hard time getting distributors for it anyway, or, you know, backing from studios, and I think it's really commendable that they're still going to make it. Regardless, mm -hmm. so yeah. So, any final thoughts on, on the all of the Matrix movies? I think, I, I I think I'm out of ideas. <laughs> I think we've talked about this enough, and yet I still feel like we haven't talked about it at all. <laughs> There's so much to say. There's so much to say, and um, who is your favorite actor in the whole series? I think we already know that it's Hugo Weaving. That's right. The correct answer was Hugo The correct Hugo answer Weaving. was Hugo Weaving. Uh, if you, listener, picked someone else... Go back and well, listen to our episodes. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about you continuing to listen. That's all I can say. What do you mean? Don't scare them away. Well, uh, if you picked Joey Pants, maybe. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but uh, that's all I can think to say. I mean, it's funny because we... We try to use this sort of formula of talking about our favorite parts and the actors and everything. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a bit different with these sequels because... They're already established. Yeah, we, we sort of covered that at first, and it's more about expansion of the world. But mm -hmm. I think we'll probably get back to that sort of we thing. Will, for sure. Next time, which, by the way, is V for Vendetta. It is. Which... Big asterisk right there. Little footnote. Yes. They didn't direct it, guys, oh, but yes. we're still going to cover important. it. We will talk about why. Mm -hmm. We are still covering it. Yep. But most importantly for you, Hugo Weaving lover, he lover? is... Lovers, that needs to be plural. Lovers. There are more than one out there. He's the main character in our next thing as well. Yeah. Maybe for Vendetta. You can't well, I mean, Natalie guys. Portman, I guess. But I mean, she's not the title character. Yeah, basically... Hugo is... You're never going to have to let Hugo out of your life. Yep. Which yep. is really great for you. You're welcome. And that's the final word I would like to say about The Matrix. Yes. <laughs> Hugo Weaving. <laughs> That is it. We believe. Hugo Weaving. Alrighty. All right. Yay, you want to sign off? Yeah, I'm out. You're out? Yeah. Camden is out. This is Vicky out as well. 
and uh, we will be talking to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Wait for it. Oh. There it is. Awful. <laughs> All right. Just awful. It's fine. <laughs> Bye. If you guys liked our show, please let us know. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and also feel free to contact us on our main website. That one is grumpyoctopusproductions.com. Then I'll link you up to all of our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and or like us on Facebook, and you can reach out to us at our email account. That is grumpyoctopusproductions at gmail.com. I think we're sensing a bit of a trend here. <laughs> um, also on the website, you guys can check out all of our episode and production notes and fun little extras as well. So, as always, thanks for listening, loyal listeners. Alrighty, signing off.